I wasn't sure what was happening. I started shaking. At first, I thought my blood sugar had dropped. I remember trying to get off of the treadmill. I kind of, at this point, did not realize it, but the left side of my body was paralyzed, and I kind of just slid off of the machine. Well, hello there. And welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. Every 40 seconds, someone, somewhere in America, will have a stroke. Is there something we can do to improve the chances that we are not one of those people? How do we not become a statistic? That is what we are going to be talking about on the show today as we honor National Stroke Awareness Month. Dr. Vanita Rahman will be here to tell us what we need to know to lower our risk of becoming one of the hundreds of thousands of people who suffer a stroke every year. And just wait, just wait until you hear the incredible number of these cases that she says are completely preventable. It is mind-numbing. And plus today, we're also going to be hearing from a stroke survivor. It was eight years ago this month that this woman's life was turned upside down. She was at the gym training for an upcoming race, feeling fine one minute and the next in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. I wanted to have her on the show with us today to walk us through what that experience was like and What is it that she's learned since then? And really, I just wanted the opportunity to tell her that I love her. Because this woman also happens to be my wife. Julie Wright will be with us to recall that day. What was it like from a first-hand perspective? What kind of a wake-up call was it for her? And what conversations did she have with her doctors regarding nutrition and the role that her diet may have played in her stroke? Spoiler alert, it really wasn't much of a conversation at all. But before we get to any of that, I wanted to let you know that today's episode of The Exam Room is sponsored by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund, supporting organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse. You can visit them online at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's GregoryRyder, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. Incredible people doing just such incredible work, and we couldn't be doing what it is that we're doing without their support. Mm 
Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Today's show, all about strokes and stroke prevention. Coming up in just a little bit, we're going to hear from Dr. Vanita Rahman. She's going to give us the ins and outs and the science behind it and the staggeringly high number of strokes that she says are completely preventable. But before we get to any of that, I thought that it was important that we hear from somebody who's actually been through this, come out the other side, a stroke survivor. This is a young woman who, at the time, she was an avid runner. She thought, really, she was in the best shape of her life. And that was until about eight years ago, when a trip to the gym turned into a trip to the hospital. For this avid runner who was taking what she thought was really good care of herself, suffered a stroke while on the treadmill. It's a personal story to me. She also happens to be the most beautiful girl in the entire world because she is my wife. Aww. Julie Wright, thank you for joining (laughs) us. Wow, we're never this close. (laughs) (laughs) Except for the past eight years that we've been together. Yeah. In all seriousness, Mm -hmm. I mean, you you had this stroke just a few months before we started dating. We were Mm -hmm. working at the same news station at the time, the CBS uh, radio affiliate here in the Washington, D.C. area. And I just remember being there, and then we had just gotten started maybe only a few months into the operation, and then you suddenly vanished, and nobody really knew what happened to you. And so Mm -hmm. as we're taking a look at strokes today, I was like, well, we're going to be talking about a whole lot of statistics, but let's bring some humanization to the numbers. Great. Walk us through what it was like that day. It was a normal day for me. It was a normal day to get up, go to work, do my job. I was working a split shift at the time. I was working early in the mornings, and then I would come back and work in the afternoons. Um, And in between time, I would go to the gym. So it was a very normal day. It was a beautiful day in May, as a matter of fact. Um, I went to the gym so I could run. I I just finished running the Cherry Blossom. I had a half marathon that was coming up. So I was doing what I thought I needed to do to prepare for that run. Um, When the stroke actually occurred, I wasn't sure what was happening. I started shaking. At first, I thought my blood sugar had dropped. Uh, There was another girlfriend of mine with me. She ran to go get a protein bar and some Gatorade, which, by the way, when a person is suffering a stroke, the last thing you want to do is feed them. It's real easy to get choked. Um. Lucky for me, I was not able to eat or drink, so everything just kind of went down the front of me like a baby, which that actually worked in my favor. Um, I remember trying to get off of the treadmill, and in my mind's eye, I could see that I was trying to move my hand to stop the machine, but obviously the machine was not stopping. I kind of, at this point, did not realize it, but the left side of my body was paralyzed, and I kind of just slid off of the machine. And very lucky I didn't get hurt doing that. And I remember sitting there and uh, people at the gym had come and put me on a bench and I was sitting there and they kept trying to talk to me, I guess because they thought I was passing out. I don't really remember that much of it, but I remember feeling very drunk and dizzy. Everything was spinning. Um, I felt very lightheaded. I couldn't really see straight. And I didn't know what was going on. And I remember at the gym, they're like, we've called the ambulance. They're coming. They're going to get you. They're going to take you to the hospital. And I'm like, I'm okay. I'm just dizzy. I'll be all right. 
I had no idea what was going on until I got to the hospital and they started working me up. And that's when I found out that I had had a stroke. Mm. And, and just to kind of rehash here, like walking, even walking into the gym just mm-hmm. minutes before this occurred, you mm-hmm. felt fine, right? Yes, I felt fine. No problem. I had eaten what I thought was a healthy breakfast at the time. Now I know it wasn't, but I had eaten what I thought was a healthy breakfast. I had come into the gym. I was, you know, meeting my girlfriend at the time. We were going to work out together. Yeah, it was a beautiful day. Everything was fine. Nothing out of the ordinary. No headaches. Nothing. We'll we'll talk about the diet aspect of this in in just a little bit. But I think it's important to point out that really, you know, you had been running for, what, a few years at this point? Yes. Right. So you really were in, in really good shape. And you were mm-hmm. a, a competitive athlete growing up on the mm-hmm. national level. Yes. You know, so like, you know about proper nutrition, you know about taking care of your body and physically active. And so... Let me say, I thought I knew about proper nutrition and taking care of my body. And that is before I met the good people at the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Right. Let me just, let's put that out there. We'll, 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 we'll talk more about that. So let's let's talk about the ambulance ride over to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Because I think that really another important element here is the fact that you are well-known in this area because you've been on television for a number of years here. Mm -hmm. Was that a concern? Like, I don't want to be recognized and I don't feel great. Like, was just a whole bunch happening? There was a whole bunch happening in that I was still very dizzy. I remember the ambulance ride. I remember the sirens. And I remember fighting off the, um, the, not the doctor, but the EMT who was on board who was trying to cut off my top because they had to put the equipment on my chest. And I remember fighting him off because I didn't know him and he's trying to cut off my clothes and this is very uncomfortable for me. Even though I know I wasn't right, it didn't feel right to have a stranger trying to cut off your clothes at the same time. I wasn't able to comprehend what he was doing and why. Mm-hmm. And that was very scary, too. So you get to the hospital, and Mm -hmm. what's the first thing you remember there? I remember rolling into the hospital. I remember them asking me if if I knew who I was. And I remember them looking at me, and and immediately they said, you've had a stroke. They just knew. Yeah. Apparently, again, I hadn't seen myself. I I didn't see myself for several hours after this had happened. And this was around 11 o'clock in the morning, because that's the time I would meet up and go to the gym. Um, I did not see that the left side of my face was drooping. Mm. My eye was drooping. My lip was drooping. Um, My arm, I didn't have strength in my left arm or my left leg. Yeah, it was really, it was really weird. And they kept asking me to talk. I didn't know why, because in my head, I was speaking clearly, but apparently what was coming out of my mouth was rubbish. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You couldn't even formulate a sentence. Right. I, I didn't know that. That's mm-hmm. a, new, a new nugget. Yeah. So how long were you actually, I guess it wasn't very long before they actually wheeled you in, they diagnosed that you had a stroke, and then pretty soon you're probably whisked away for all kinds of tests, right? Yes. And again, I'm not feeling 100%. I'm not, first of all, I'm scared. I'm in the hospital. I don't know why I'm in the hospital. Second of all, I just want the dizziness to stop. And at this point, the lights, anybody that's been in the hospital and and you've been in the process of being diagnosed, you know the lights are so bright. Mm. That hurts. 
it hurts my eyes. It hurts my head at this point. I just want to go home. I'm thinking to myself, if I could go home, I'm going to feel better. Again, I hadn't realized what had happened to me. There was no way I could have a stroke. I'm not a smoker. I don't drink. I'm not overweight. I'm eating well. Like, I'm not, I can't have a stroke. I just need to go home and lay down. In the meantime, they're trying to get me into a CAT scan. They're trying to get me into an MRI. I remember when they're putting me in the MRI, they put this, it looked like a hockey mask over my head. I was not comfortable with that. I did not like it. I remember I was fighting them off with that because that wasn't something I wanted. But they needed to see what was going on in my brain. Mm-hmm. And, and so a lot of it, God bless them for putting up with me. I think I, I spent a lot of time trying to fight them off because I didn't, I, a, I didn't know what was going on. B, I didn't think I needed whatever it was that they were doing to me, whatever kind of treatment they were doing to me. And C, I was, I wanted to go home because for some reason in my head, going home would make me feel better. Do you, were you aware of the point that maybe you weren't able to think all that clearly at that point? Or in your own head, did you feel like you were making perfect sense? In my mind, I was making sense because there was no way. I just knew there's no way I could have had a stroke. How do you have a stroke in your 30s? late 30s. How do you have a stroke in your late 30s, almost 40 years old, and you're running every day, you're working out, you're, you know, at a goal weight, you know, you're doing everything right. You're not a smoker. You're not a drinker. You're not overweight. How could you possibly have a stroke? So any family history, your parents? Well, later on, I find out. Yeah. My grandfather had heart attacks. That's what he died from. My grandfather had blood clots. My mother is known to have several blood clots uh, and a clotting problem, which unfortunately I've inherited. Right. But you learned about that because Because of, of this, the stroke. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how how long were you actually in the hospital? What else do you remember from that day once they got all of the tests completed? Were you just wiped out at that point? Yes. Yes, the best way to describe it is when you have a stroke, it's like taking a garden hose and bending it in half so that the water stops coming out of the hose. And then all of a sudden, the hose straightens back out. But unfortunately, with a water hose, the water continues to gush back out the other end. It doesn't happen like that for a person. It takes time to reboot. So I realized words that would come to me, because I talk for a living, Vocabulary should come easily to me. I know for the first, I would say month, maybe even six weeks, I would get tongue-tied over things that I should never get tongue-tied over. Mm. I remember that. I remember light sensitivity, having a huge problem with the lights, and especially being in TV with the bright lights. That was a problem. I remember being tired, tired all the time. I remember trying to get back to the gym eventually and trying to run. Again, as I said to you before, I was training for a half marathon. I could barely get through two miles. Mm-hmm. It felt like I'd been running 26. Mm-hmm. And it took a long time to get back up and running again, literally. Mm-hmm. And what kind of stroke were you diagnosed with? So I had a TIA. Okay. So it wasn't as severe as like what we've seen like with um, Dick Clark. Right. But it is a shorter... Think about... When you bend the garden hose, you don't bend it as long. Right. You don't cut off the water for as long a t- period of time. Right. Uh, it Every time I hear somebody mention TIA, there are two people I immediately think of. One, obviously, is you. Mm-hmm. But two, I will never forget watching a football game a few years back and the head coach of the Houston Texans yes. at the time, a guy by the name of Gary Kubiak, walking to the locker room at halftime and just collapsed. You want to talk about mm-hmm. lights just turning out. It yeah. was like just gone Mm -hmm. and that was a scary thing and you know nfl coaches are known for working 20 hour work days Mm -hmm. 
during the season seven days a week and he was just gone for a few weeks like yeah. unable to uh really function at a high level at all and i remember asking you about it and you telling me about this extraordinary fatigue and the light sensitivity mm-hmm. and and were you sensitive to loud noises as well were you just overly sensitive to almost everything at that the point? Noise, I don't think bothered me as much, but definitely the lights. And even walking up a flight of stairs after I came home was, I remember sleeping on my couch mm-hmm. when I came home because it was just too much effort to get up a flight of stairs. Mm. And again, you're talking about a person who was training for a half marathon. Right. So that should be easy peasy, but it wasn't. Right. And just being tired and, and literally going from one side of my couch to the other side of my couch because I was just so sleepy. I'd be awake for maybe an hour and then sleep for like three or four hours, then be awake and go back to sleep. Kubiak, I think, was out for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. How long was it before you were able to go back to work? I think I went back in two weeks, which was early. Look at you, trooper. Yeah, it was really early, though. I shouldn't have. And you were doing us like, here's, here's because the thing. Because with being in TV and the bright lights, in between... Being on air, I was sitting at my desk with sunglasses on. Uh, yeah, I remember you telling me. And you yeah. would wear them all the way into the studio, yeah. take them off. At the last minute. Right. Do your hit and immediately put them, put back, them back on, on. when yeah. the camera went dark. Yeah. Wow. And I sat here at home with the curtains drawn. I mean, you know me. I'm a beach bunny. I love the sun. But I sat here with the windows drawn. I would try to make it as dark as I possibly could in my house. Right. Because of that light sensitivity. Right. And this happened in May. So mm-hmm. like eight years ago this month. Yes. And so, I mean, the unofficial start of summer was just this past weekend. You live at the beach in the summer. Mm-hmm. Did you even get an opportunity to go? Not then. I didn't go. I don't think I went to the beach until sometime in July. Okay. To be honest with you. Okay. Because it was just too much. What was that experience like the first time? Bright. I bet. Bright. With okay. the sand reflecting the sun, it was really, really bright. You can't see this, but she's still smiling ear to ear <laughs> just because it's the beach. It's because it's the beach. But it's also a matter of, again, when you're walking on the beach, you are using more muscles than you are when you're walking on flat land. So just to get from the car to the spot on the beach where I wanted to lay, that was a huge triumph for me. I mean, it was just like, oh my gosh. Right. You know, I didn't want to leave for a couple of hours because I was tired. And the beach that you go to right by your parents' house, it's mm-hmm. not as though you have to park and walk a mile to get to where it is that you're going to be laying in right. the sand. The, the lot is right there. Yep. You walk over one small boardwalk and then maybe 50 yards worth of sand mm-hmm. and you're there. Um, and, and that just wore you right the heck out, yes. huh? Right. So let's talk about the nutritional component of, uh, of this because obviously this is the exam room this is what the the listeners the viewers love so much mm-hmm. um dr Rahman here in just a minute is going to talk about a lot of this and how many strokes are preventable and how much that can be attributed to diet and lifestyle yes I'm not going to spoil the number but it <laughs> is it is a high number what did the doctors like i'm telling you that now to mm-hmm. ask you this question what did the doctors ask you, talk to you as far as what your diet was like at that point? Was there even a conversation? There was no conversation about my diet. They ran tests on me. They took blood work. My cholesterol was fine. It was better than fine. Uh, but still, they put me on Pravastatin, hmm. even though I had excellent cholesterol levels. Um, my blood was fine, except for the clot. Obviously, that's what caused the stroke. But we did not talk about nutrition at all. Mm. It wasn't brought up. And that didn't even register in your mind either, right? No, because at the time I thought I was doing okay. Okay. 
let's mm. let's talk about what okay was uh <laughs> what what was the runner's diet for you at that point um on a good day it would be two scrambled eggs and probably a diet pepsi for breakfast oh, for breakfast um it may have been a bagel and a diet pepsi a bagel with cream cheese um lunch was probably triscuits and peanut butter or it may have been a peanut butter sandwich. It may have been some kind of fast food that I thought was good, like a chicken sandwich. Protein, right? Protein. It's healthy because of the protein. It's healthy because of the protein. One of my favorites was going to the fast food restaurant and getting a baked potato. Uh, it must have been, I know the one. Starts yeah. with the W. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't sure if I could say that or not. But yeah, yeah I would go and get the baked potato with the butter and mm. the chili. Mm. <laughs> because it's protein. Yeah. What does chili have in it? It has meat. It has beans. Right. It's a potato. It's, you know, yeah. Carbs and protein. Yeah. It's going to carry you that last mile. That's what you need, you know? And so that's what I would do. And then sometimes for dinner, I would go and buy a rotisserie chicken. From the grocery store? Yeah. Yeah. And I'd wind up eating like half of it. Like Mm -hmm. nothing else. Just the chicken. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was dinner. You remember the first time that (laughs) I brought that home? This is before you and I went plant-based. And, uh... I just pointed out all of the list of ingredients on this rotisserie chicken. Like, you would expect it just says chicken. But, I mean, literally, in fine print, (laughs) it's as long as my arm. Right. With everything that they've shot that poor bird up with. Yeah. It's just insane. Um, But, anyway... I, I'm not picking on you. I mean, that mm-hmm. is the typical athlete runner mentality, you mm-hmm. know, carbs and protein. And nobody's going to say On the that... weekends, it was scrambled eggs, uh, pulled chicken, and potatoes. Right, right. Yeah. But I'm not hearing a lot of fried food in this. So you're. No, I didn't have a lot of fried food, but I'm also not a cook. Right. <laughs> we know that to be true. <laughs> so it's whatever I could get my hands on quickly. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But so when you were going to the drive through though, you mm-hmm. were getting the baked potato as opposed to oh, the yeah. French fries, right? Yes. So that, again, healthy. We're going to put that in quotes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So even with your follow-up, and I'm, I'm sure that after the stroke, you had follow-ups with doctors yes. for days, mm-hmm. right? Still, not once did any one of these, this fleet of doctors bring any of this up with you. Nope. None. And one of them was a cardiologist, right? Yes. I worked with a cardiologist. I still work with a cardiologist. And never once has he said, what is your diet like? Right. What are you eating? Right. What are you doing? No. And they, right. So what did the cardiologist find out about you that was also unique? Oh, that I had a hole in my heart? Yeah. Yeah. Until I came along. Aww. (laughs) Wait, I didn't know that. I had a hole in my heart. I've had it my entire life and never given me any problems. That's actually, in a way, kind of what saved me because the clot came up from my leg, went through the hole that's in my heart and went up to my brain. If it had stopped in my heart or my lungs, maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation. Does that still, to this day, put you at a higher risk for a stroke? Because if you do have a clot, like it would pass right through? Well, no, that doesn't put me at a higher risk. It just means... What puts me at a higher risk is my diet. If I don't eat properly, that's going to cause a clot because my blood coagulates easier than most people's. Gotcha. So that's what puts me at a higher risk. The hole in my heart just allows it to go up to my brain. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. But no other ill effects. It just happens to be there. and It just happens to be there. Okay. Okay. So I will wrap this up here. We've gone about 20 minutes. But I, I, I remember uh, the... It was shortly after we went 
plant-based and I, I will never forget that conversation coming home to you that one day baby i'm going vegan you're already the healthiest eater i know <laughs> you know, just watch one documentary and you're on board it was great but i remember shortly thereafter i was looking for kind of a, a change in pace in careers i was burnt out doing news they, they were scheduling me like all kinds of different shifts anyway we wind up going to the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine. I was going to file some stuff for NBC uh, based off of what we got at the conference. And you got an opportunity to speak with Dr. Barnard that day. Yes. And you were asking him about statins. And I don't know if he realizes it, but I certainly do, that that was a very profound conversation for you. Yes. Because it made sense. It was he didn't speak doctor lingo to me. He spoke to me like a human being. And he asked me when I told him I was taking Pravastatin and he said, do you have cholesterol issues? And I said, no, my cholesterol's fine. I get tested. It's where it's supposed to be. And then he's like, well, why are you taking Pravastatin? I don't know. That's what the doctor gave me. And he's like, well, typically you take that if you have a cholesterol problem. If you have a cholesterol problem, you can eat better and control that issue. Mm -hmm. So without getting into everything with Dr. Barnard at that moment, it just kind of rang a bell to me. Okay, if I don't have a cholesterol problem, then why are they pumping me full of medication? It didn't make any sense. Right. You know, and then to learn what some of the side effects are from some of those statins, I'm like, so I don't really don't need this, and yet I'm taking it, and it could cause this? It didn't, it didn't add up for me. Mm. Mm. And I know Dr. Barnard doesn't know this, at least I don't think he does, but that conversation... I went home and I stopped taking the Pravastatin on my own. And I remember going and, and I have to go twice a year to see my cardiologist. And he, you know, he's asking me, he's like, who took you off of that? I said, nobody. I just stopped taking it. I was like, is my cholesterol bad? And he's like, no, it's fine. I'm like, then why do I need to take it? No. All right. So caveat here, still work with your doctors. Yes. Work with your doctor. Don't <laughs> just don't go and, and be cavalier about your medication. No. I'm not saying that, but. But what I'm saying is it, it brought it to my attention that maybe I don't need this. Right. Maybe I should have taken it to the cardiologist and discussed it with him first, which is what we're saying. But it just made sense. What Dr. Barnard said to me made sense. If you don't have a problem, then why are you taking it? Right, right. Eh, that's a fair question. I, I just remember you being so struck that yeah. day and just like walking out of there just with your your jaw just agape like mm -hmm. it was just like what in the world has been going on and i think that that was like the first time that the light bulb really went off like in your head like yes. wow okay i'm i'm starting to see the light you know and uh so that's that's really cool and then you know start doing the exam room and you know i'm telling you these things and i i remember telling you when i learned how little education doctors get in terms of nutrition and that right. is like literally like zero credit hours in medical school mm -hmm. right and so here we are going to our doctors expecting good sound nutritional advice having deep conversations with them and this is i mean no offense to doctors they're, they're not taught it so how in the world would they know but that's why i think you didn't have those conversations after your stroke about mm -hmm. well, what is it that you're eating was this a contributing factor you know right so and that's also why you know just my personal opinion here we always get those vague prescriptions from doctors to you know eat better and lose weight well how do you eat better i don't know you know right so but uh, i will tell you uh, i am awfully glad 
that you survived the stroke. <laughs> I am too. Because you had that in May, and uh, we struck up a conversation probably maybe September-ish. Yeah. And then uh, I finally mustered up the courage to ask you out in uh, in December. Oh, boy. Yeah. And the rest <laughs> is history. The rest is... I almost blew it, too. Around November, I almost blew it. But that's a story for a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That's right. true. Well, yeah. I love you. So thank you very much for taking the time. I'm, I'm glad that you're here. And you should come on the show more often. You, you make think? me smile. Aw. Well, maybe. Yeah. If you make me dinner. <laughs> you, well, you can't cook. I don't have a choice. <laughs> if you made me that butternut squash thing that you make. I like that. Uh, the stuffed butternut squash. Yes, that's good. I okay, like that. with the wild rice. We haven't had that in a while. Uh, it's typically a Thanksgiving thing, but I'll I'll do that for you. It's a vegetable. You can eat it anytime. I know, but it requires. All right, I got it. Stuffed butternut squash rice. Got it. On it. Love you. Love you. Here's a fun fact for you. That was the first time that we've had an Emmy Award winner on the show. Julie won an Emmy a few years back for her work in reporting, and I'm so proud of her. Not just for the career that she's built, but overcoming this TIA, this mini-stroke, and everything that she's doing to learn more about her health, and now sharing her story to inspire others to also take that journey, learn as much as they possibly can, so that if they've had one, they can reduce their risk of having a second one. And if they haven't had one, reducing the risk of ever having one. And something else really struck me as we were putting this show together. Think about this. We hear about these scary incidents with athletes quite a bit. Whether it's having a stroke or a heart attack, so often we hear about these people having these incidents and we always think yeah but that person was so healthy now, I'm not saying that anything is completely preventable but we do know for a fact that we have more control over our health than we possibly could believe so many of us don't yet realize this but diet and lifestyle they play a huge role in our health and our risk for these things. So before we dive into the science of strokes and exactly what it is that we can be doing to lower our risk of having one, I wanted to share this news story with you that came across my desk this week. It really ties together strokes and the current COVID-19 pandemic. Strokes appear to be one of the more rare side effects of COVID-19, but researchers say that when they do occur, the effects can be devastating. And these strokes appear to be happening more frequently in younger patients. A study published in the journal Stroke finds the average score for stroke severity of COVID-19 patients is 19. That's more than double the severity of those who have a stroke and don't have the virus. And what's more, a COVID-19 patient who has a stroke is nearly seven times more likely to die. Puzzlingly, though, COVID patients were less likely to have a history of high blood pressure. And researchers still don't know yet what the exact cause of these strokes is. But they do say 
the majority of patients had abnormal blood clotting. Something to keep an eye on in the future. All right. Time now to learn what it is that we can do to lower our own risk of having a stroke as we welcome Dr. Vanita Rahman to the exam room. Dr. Rahman, the numbers here, they are alarming to say the least. What should we be doing to make sure that we are not one of those stroke victims? Yeah, thank you, Chuck. This is such an important issue. So uh, so let me just differentiate the difference between a stroke and a TIA or a transient ischemic attack. It's also known as a mini stroke. That means that uh, the, both of these happen when the blood supply to the brain is reduced. And in a TIA, it's temporary and people regain their function, but in a stroke, it's permanent and that function is lost. So as you just pointed out, the, the numbers are really quite startling. Um, you know, almost 800,000 Americans have a stroke every year and 140,000 Americans die every year from stroke. And as you said, Chuck, there's a stroke every 40 seconds. You know, that's just really um, a startling number. And every four minutes, someone dies from a stroke. And as a country, we're spending $34 billion a year on strokes. And this includes medical cost and uh, loss in productivity. And stroke is the leading cause of long-term disability for adults in the U.S. So um, let's look at um, how stroke affects different populations differently. We've heard a lot that COVID-19 um, is more severe in um, Blacks. Well, we see the same thing with strokes, um, where the risk of the first stroke is nearly twice as high for Blacks as it is for whites. And um, African-Americans have the highest rate of death due to stroke. Now, you know, we we have some thoughts on why this is, um, but we don't know exactly the full story here, but we're starting to see a pattern, um, whether it's COVID-19 or stroke, that certain populations are at higher risk. And let's talk about some of the risk factors, because the most important thing that we can do to prevent a future stroke is to mitigate these risk factors. Um, so first of all, someone who's had a prior stroke or a mini stroke is at a much higher risk of having a future stroke than someone who hasn't. Someone with heart disease is at higher risk, and, and that's because heart disease and stroke share some of the same features and risk factors. And then um, pre-existing conditions like high blood pressure, diabetes, these are all risk factors for stroke. Um, as a sickle cell anemia, this condition leads to um, impaired blood flow, which can lead to stroke. So the most important thing is to really start tackling each of these conditions the best that we can. And uh, I wanted to share this interesting research study with uh, our listeners today. This um, study speaks to the power of nutrition in preventing a stroke or cardiovascular disease or death. Um, this was a study uh, done um, from Spain. It's called a PREDIMED study. It's basically a study looking at how to prevent cardiovascular disease in people who've never had it before. Um, 
but they, it was done in people who were at risk or at high risk for having cardiovascular disease. So, um, it ran for about six years. Participants were followed for five years and none of them had any known cardiovascular disease, but they were at higher race, uh, higher risk because of their age or other pre-existing conditions. And they were assigned various diets, either a standard um, Mediterranean diet with extra virgin olive oil or a Mediterranean diet with nuts or a low-fat diet. And what they found was there was some decrease in the incidence of stroke, but not much. But then they looked at a sub-study to see the to really uh, tease out the dietary patterns. And this is where we learn more information. Um, so what they did was they stratified people in their diet, um, and they called it a vegetarian food pattern. And they looked at, um, and they stratified them based on how much plant-based food they were eating and how, how many animal-based foods they were eating. So the group that was eating, um, the lowest amount of plant-based food is called the very low group here, meaning uh, they have a low vegetarian food pattern. And then the group that was eating the most plant-based foods is, uh, is at the bottom, the high, very high food pattern. And what then they looked at was the mortality of this group. And as we can see, the mortality really decreases. So the very low food pattern group is serving as the reference. Their mortality rate is one for reference. And then we can see it reduces by almost 30% um, as they add more plant-based foods. And then when we get to the bottom there, the group that's eating the most plant-based foods, the fewest animal foods, their mortality is reduced by nearly 50%. Uh, and this, you know, this is really telling uh, how important diet can be. Um, and we can, you know, this is about mortality, but this applies to stroke prevention or cardiovascular disease prevention in general too. So, you know, as, as we're thinking about how to mitigate our risk, these are some things that we can do that we've talked about that apply to other things. Um, so first of all, eating a low-fat plant-based diet is really important. Uh, getting regular exercise, we talked about this before, is extremely important. Maintaining a healthy weight. If we smoke, quitting smoking is paramount. And uh, limiting alcohol intake. Alcohol is not an essential nutrient. Uh, but if you do drink, try to limit it to two servings of uh drinks for men per day and one serving for women. If you don't drink, you don't need to start drinking, but if you do, try to limit it. And controlling medical conditions, chronic conditions, diabetes, high blood pressure, that means taking your medications, working with your healthcare team to really make sure they're under good control. And the reason all of this is important is that 80% of strokes can be prevented with lifestyle changes. So, you know, we can really bring those uh, scary statistics that we saw at the beginning down by 80%. So that just really speaks to the power of lifestyle and um, diet. Thank you, Chuck. Dr. Rahman, you said that 80% of, of strokes there are preventable with diet and lifestyle modifications, right? So what I'm doing right now is I am going and uh, pulling up my calculator on my phone, and we are going to do some uh, math there. And uh, so that means of the 140,000 strokes that occur in the U.S. every year, that is how many are preventable. Exactly. It's just such a powerful number. 
112,000 of those strokes are preventable with diet and lifestyle modifications. That is just absolutely uh, mind blowing to me, but it does go and it really just kind of underscores a recurring theme on this show is that we have more control over our health than we ever possibly could imagine. You know, there's no, you know, magical cure for anything, but I mean, if you're telling me that I've got an 80% chance of, you know, not becoming a statistic, I'm going to think those are pretty good odds. If I'm playing the lottery and somebody says, hey, man, you've got an 80% chance of hitting the jackpot tonight, I'm going to be over the moon, you know? (laughs) Right. And, you know, what's really interesting is not only will these lifestyle changes prevent 80% of those strokes, they will prevent heart attacks, they'll prevent cancer. Um, So all these comorbidities, all these chronic conditions have the same risk factor. So uh, prevention is the same for most of them. What do we know in terms of the heavier a person is, the more likely they are to have a stroke? Because obviously obesity is a huge problem here, not just in the United States, but really worldwide. Morbidly obese, are they at an even higher risk of having a stroke? Yeah, they are, Chuck. And and for a variety of reasons. Obesity itself increases the risk, but then it also increases the risk of these comorbidities, such as diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol levels. Um, and so there are multiple factors playing a role. The as someone is morbidly obese, their risk for all those conditions goes up, and then their risk of stroke goes up in parallel to that. It's unbelievable. All right. Well, Dr. Rahman, thank you so very much for joining us today. Uh, that is just some really enlightening and, and eye-opening information, 80%. So I definitely know what the, <laughs> my fact of the day will be. Time now to open up the doctor's mailbag and answer one of your questions on the air. And for that, we welcome Dr. Barnard back to the show. Let's go ahead and answer this question, Dr. Barnard, from Patty, because I think this will help out a lot of people as they begin the process of transitioning to a healthier diet. Patty writes, for someone new to the program, what is the best way to lose weight while eating a plant-based diet besides just staying away from nuts? Okay, well, that's a great question. I have to say that's maybe issue number one for so many people as they want to get their weight down and, and what can they do? Uh, let's just walk through the basics really quickly. Getting away from animal products, that's number one. Uh, that's really important to emphasize because there are all kinds of fad diets out there, but getting away from animal products is the most reliable way to keep weight off for the long run. When people do that, two things happen. Because now you're eating vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans, foods that have fiber in them, and fiber doesn't have calories effectively, but it fills you up, your calorie intake naturally falls. So even if you're overdoing it a little bit, you're less likely to really take in more calories compared to an omnivore. But the second thing is that a plant-based diet ramps up your metabolism after meals. Not a lot, but just a little bit. So that you're not only taking in fewer calories, but you're burning them off more. Okay, so that's job one. Get away from animal products. Number two, keep away from oily foods. And you mentioned one, and that's nuts. Uh, a little bit of nuts, you can you could say they're healthy. The problem with them is that, well, two problems. They're super high in fat, and they are kind of addicting, particularly when they are roasted up and salted up and so forth. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so if you are having nuts, maybe about an ounce a day max, and an ounce is the amount that goes into your hand, pour the nuts in your hand. Uh, if they hit your fingers, that's more than an ounce. 
and then crumble them up. Don't, don't eat them. Crumble them up and put them on your salad or on your oatmeal or something like that so you're not using nuts as a food group. That'll help. Uh, but, but nuts are not the only food that's pretty calorie-packed. Um, guacamole, any kind of uh, any avocado product, yes, I'm sorry to say they are delicious, uh, super fattening. And anything with added oils. Now we're talking about processed foods. Look at the label on a frozen pizza. If it's got more than about three grams of fat per serving, you're going you're gonna to discover that it interferes with weight loss. If it's got three or less, it's going to be a good friend. Um, now, I haven't mentioned sugar here at all because sugar is not the main reason that people gain weight, but sugar and sugary uh, sodas and things are not health food, even if they're called Dr. Pepper. So getting away from sugar is a good thing to do, particularly the sugar-fat mixtures is a good thing. And a couple of things unrelated to what you actually eat may sound a little surprising, go to sleep. A couple of reasons for that. One is when you're unconscious, you can't go and eat ice cream. Uh, but the other reason for going to sleep is if, you've, if you're well rested, you are more likely to stay on the straight and narrow path today. But if, you, if yesterday you had a rotten night's sleep, then you're going to eat anything just to get through the, through the day. And finally, what about exercise? Um, exercise has been really quite disappointing when it comes to weight loss. Uh, it's not a huge calorie burner. And if that surprises you, get on the treadmill and run flat out for a mile and then press the little button that tells you how many calories you burned. It's about 100. Run two miles. That's 200. Now, go to the refrigerator and take out uh, a bottle of soda and see how many calories are in that. One 20-ounce soda has more calories than you burned off by running two full miles. Uh, A lot more. So, the numbers are 250 calories in a soda. So, but what where exercise is helpful is it makes you feel better, it makes you sleep better, and it does burn off some calories. Um, so adding exercise in helps. So what's the regimen? Avoid animal products, keep the oily foods low, uh, go easy on sugar, um, have it be natural sugars like fruit, not so much the added sugars like soda, and uh, get some sleep and get a little exercise, lace up your sneakers, that'll help you. Yeah, and I think that that's really such an an important thing. Is I remember being overweight, and really the the stumbling block, just like right out of the gate, always was like, oh gosh, I want to lose weight, but that means I have to go get another gym membership. And I would go for a couple of weeks, like so many people, and then just say, ah, forget it. And then because I threw in the towel on the gym, I threw in the towel on eating healthier, and just everything just kind of fell off. You know, the wheels just came off the whole idea of getting to a healthier lifestyle, and it just wasn't sustainable. So I really think that that's an important message that you have here, that nutrition and really and, and sleep are, are really kind of the keys here, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's right. And I don't mean to, to say anything negative about exercise. Exercise is great. I do it. Everybody should do it. Getting the blood circulating in your body is great, and it will burn some calories. But there are lots of folks who figure, aha, just had my double bacon cheeseburger. I can burn all that off. Yeah, if you run from here to Philadelphia, maybe so. But I have to tell you, it, you, your body is very efficient. It does not want to burn off a lot of calories. So exercise alone is not going to get you there. Add it to a healthy diet, not instead of. 
And then uh, just a quick follow-up. It sounds like Patty is already a step beyond this, but somebody who is just now hearing about the benefits of a plant-based diet, and they're turning to what you and I would call transition foods, those highly processed, uh, oily, uh, plant-based meats, you know, call it the Impossible Whopper, anything along those lines. What is your advice in terms of people using those foods to transition over? Is it okay to do that in the short term as long as they wean off, or what is your advice? Um, they, They are methadone. In other words, a heroin addict says, I need some way to get off of this, this addictive substance. And so they go to the methadone clinic and they are given this also addictive drug that will help wean them off of injecting heroin. Okay. So if you're a, if you are a Whopper addict and you go to Burger King and you get the impossible Whopper, it's, there's no meat in it. It's totally vegan. That's a more ethical choice, a more environmentally friendly choice, and about this much healthier choice too. So go that route. But what you will then discover is that there are healthier veggie burgers that are lower in fat. And then eventually you'll discover you don't necessarily even need a veggie burger at all because you'll be eating kind of simpler foods like beans and vegetables and fruits and whole grains. So um, transition foods I think are great, um, They, but their purpose is to help wean you off of that meat and dairy addiction. And then eventually you'll discover there's a lot more other cool things to eat out there. Uh, do read the label. If it's got less than three grams uh, per serving, then frankly, I think it's okay anyway. Anyhow. Really something to think about there. And if you head over to pcrm.org and you search for the word stroke, you're going to find all kinds of information, all kinds of headlines. Headlines like, meat and eggs increase risk for stroke, and meat increases stroke risk, and meat and stroke. Kind of noticing a theme there? Anyway, 80% of these deaths are preventable with diet and lifestyle changes, according to Dr. Rahman. 80%. And you heard the number that I came up with during the interview. That means that of the 140,000 people who died from strokes, 112,000 of them may still be here. Think about that for a second. Okay. Coming up on the next episode of The Exam Room, you are going to hear the incredible story of Gabriel Miller, a former big-time college football player who dreamed of playing in the NFL until one day, in the blink of an eye, his career was cut short. A career-ending injury is a scary prospect for anyone in that position for so many reasons, including just the great number of ex-players who put on incredible amounts of weight after they stop playing. They just balloon. But not Gabriel. This guy, majoring in animal agriculture, decides, hey, I'm not going that route. I'm going to give up meat. I'm going to get healthy. And now, Gabriel is a lean, mean, plant-eating machine, using his story to inspire thousands of people to take control of their health. It's such a great story, and I can't wait to share that with you on the next episode. And if you're a fan of the University of Nebraska Cornhuskers, you're really going to like this interview. 
And if you're not listening to us today on your favorite podcast provider, well, what are you waiting for, my friend? Head over to Apple Podcast and wherever shows are available and subscribe to the exam room by the Physicians Committee. Do that and help make the world a healthier place. Because every new subscription and five-star rating helps someone who really needs this potentially life-saving information, helps them find it, gets it right in their fingertips. I always think about the old me and how I want to reach out to that, that guy, that 420-pound man, and let him know that there is a healthier way to live your life. And this show would be a perfect tool to use in the quest to get healthy. So go ahead and head over to Apple Podcast or Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it is that you get your favorite shows and hit that subscribe button. And please also leave a five-star rating and help make the world a healthier place. Before we wrap up today, I wanted to let you know that this episode of The Exam Room is sponsored by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund, supporting organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse. You can visit the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online at gregoryreiterfund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R fund.org. And right there on their homepage, you will see the wonderful Allison Mahoney, who leads the Writer Fund. You will see her and some pictures of her volunteering at Poplar Spring Animal Sanctuary right here in the D.C. area. And might I say, that first picture of her with that pig, that is one cute pig. I mean, he's a little bit dirty. But man, I would get down there. I would roll around in the slop with Erwin. I mean, what what, what a cute pig. Erwin is the pig's name, by the way. He was rescued. Uh, he was bred to become meat, as a matter of fact, before he was rescued. So just an incredible story. And the Gregory Ryder Fund is doing just some incredible work. So visit them online at GregoryRyderFund.org. R-E-I-T-E-R. That's the way that you spell writer. GregoryRyderFund.org. And that's going to do it for us today. My thanks again to my lovely wife, Julie, for sharing her story with us, and Dr. Vanita Rahman for sharing her wisdom. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening, and remember, keep it plant-based. <laughs>